Trust and obey. Yeah. Amen. Fits in with tonight, as, as everything does. I think this side sold more tickets tonight than this side. Fool over here. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, premium tickets on this side. Okay. <laughs> oh, just teasing. Um, take your Bibles, if you would, please, and let's turn to Ephesians 6. We'll start there. I, I think, we'll, I don't know if I'll have you turn to other places, but I do want to read um, a verse out of Ephesians 6 tonight. And um, we will have a time of prayer towards the end of the service. I asked Pastor up front if we could just um, have a symphony of prayer in our final moments in the service. And so I know some of you midways and back are getting comfortable, but when we do pray, I'll ask you to move forward so we can hear. It's not that you're uh, not right with God because you're back there, but just so you get closer to the front when we pray, um, we don't have a microphone out for everybody when we pray as a symphony. And so uh, just giving you a heads up, okay? So um, you may have to leave the warmth of your pew there for a moment and come a little closer to the front. But um, Pastor just was asking me to share some thoughts on prayer tonight. And uh, when he did, I, I got scared because um, I don't, there's much to learn in the area of prayer in my own life. And I think there's others that could preach and speak with much more experience. Um, but I'm so thankful that we have a Bible that teaches all of us what prayer is and how to approach God in the attitude of prayer. And, and really, it's just uh, four simple truths tonight about why we pray. And we'll start with Ephesians 6. If you found your place, Ephesians um, 6, if you would stand with me, please. And let's look at verse 18 of Ephesians 6. We'll just read one verse, and then we'll uh, get into the message here. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Um, why don't you say this along, say it together. It's along with me. Let's, it's one verse. We, I think we can make it through without... Uh, getting lost here. Uh, verse 18, ready, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Thank you. you. May be seated. That verse, if we could sum it up, is this. Every disciple always praying for everyone and for everything. All disciples, I'm sorry, uh, every disciple always praying for everyone and for everything. And I hope to get back to this verse as we get a little bit later into the message. But prayer, what is prayer? One writer described it as the desire, the opportunity, and privilege of talking with God. As we begin in the Bible, we would hear a first prayer from the Bible would most likely be from Adam. I know the, the verse I referenced, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, may not sound like a prayer, but I'm just thinking of who the audience is when he's speaking. And Adam says, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, obviously, he could have been talking to Eve, but as we know from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve had sinned and they're now conversing, God's finding them, he's seeking them out. There's a conversation that takes place and it's evident that Adam had learned to talk to his God. And so, yes, Eve was there, but Adam 
is uttering words. He is in a heavenly correspondence with God in how he talks about his wife, his, his, uh, his woman, as he calls her, she shall be called woman. And I know that may not seem much like a prayer, but we must understand that God was in a love relationship with Adam. And Adam was speaking with his God. Another place we would hear a prayer that might be without words, we actually looked at some of this tonight in our teacher's meeting, and it's a preview of Sunday's Sunday school lesson. But if you remember, the Hebrew children are in bondage, and the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 that they sighed by reason of, bondage, of the bondage. Verse 24 of Exodus 2, God heard their groaning. Some prayers are so intense that they're without words. God hears the groans of his people. This prayer was so deep and so intense that words were not uttered. We also understand that the Holy Spirit groans as he makes intercession for us. Prayers often uttered without words. Another moving prayer would be later on in the book of Judges by Samson who's in the house of Dagon, the idle house of the Philistines. And we know many of us are familiar with Samson's story. He had sinned. Uh, he had lost his strength. He has now lost his sight. He's in this uh, place of idol worship, and there he's playing the fool for his enemies and for God's enemies. And as Samson prays unto God, he says, Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O oh God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my, my two eyes. His prayer was full of repentance, and he was being reconciled to God. He prayed for his strength, rather than relying on his hair for his strength. And God allowed him to triumph in his death, killing more Philistines that day than in the days he had lived. Another prayer we're familiar with is John chapter 17. Our Savior prays for himself, prays for his own, and prays for the world. The high priestly prayer was prayed that night. And we know that night, not only was Jesus uh, beaten and taken and been had been arrested, but he was betrayed. He bore much agony that night. And so some precious words that we read about in our Bible today, the night before his crucifixion, we read words like this. Um, John 17, verses 3 and 4. And this life eternal, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. And he was speaking to that, the ones that God gave, gave him, they belong to him and to God, meaning that the, what belongs to Christ belongs to God, and each one of the disciples will not only bring glory to Jesus Christ, but will bring glory to God. And then he says later, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, these are examples of prayers. And there are many others. We We've not even scratched the surface of prayers in the Bible. There's, there's books written on all the prayers of the Bible and specific prayers. I think of the 
prayer of Samuel's mother when she asked God for a child and she gave her child back to God and God brought favor into her life, though she was hated by the other wife that her husband had also married. And I think of uh, prayers where um, men would pray before battle and they would see God uh, work a, a great miracle and would defeat their enemies in ways that only God could perform. And so God deems our prayers great. If you compare our prayers to maybe these four examples, you'd say, you know, my prayers don't come across so eloquent. <laughs> they seem very insignificant, maybe puny. But God deems our prayers otherwise. So much that he commanded his people to pray. Men ought always to pray and not faint. We hear again from Paul, pray without ceasing. Your prayers are important. God desires, wants, longs to hear from your lips. He's your God. There's no greater love that a man has for you than the Lord Jesus Christ. We were just talking about it a moment ago, how you look at the cross. You look and see there's no measure held back from God to show the great love he has for you. He gave his only begotten son to take all of your sins all the wicked sins of our lives, past, present, and future. He put them on his sinless, harmless, guiltless son because he loved you. He loves you. And God wants to hear from you. Not that God needs a reason to give a command to pray. We know that. But God knows what is best for us to pray. Four truths tonight why we pray. Just as God desired to be with Adam and Eve, listening and talking with them, just as he desired to, desired to hear the prayer from Samson's lips, he, wants, he wanted to hear from his children who were in bondage. He even took time to listen to his own son. He wants to hear from us too. He instructs us. He commands us to pray. Every disciple, always praying for everyone and for everything. Truth number one of why we pray. Why does God command us to pray? I have here his first truth. Do you know we have an enemy? You know the reason God is, one of the reasons God has commanded us to pray is we have an enemy. In those examples I read, the enemy was present. He was present in the Garden of Eden. He beguiled Adam and Eve. He was deceptive to them and, and cause them to sin against God. Our enemy, Satan, do you know that we can be defeated by the enemy? If we do not understand something of his nature, and we must see the world maybe from our enemy's vantage point to see where he's coming from, it's a Wednesday night service. As Brother Mooney was praying, he said, people are tired, been working, been with people who are not like church people. Their language is rough and they cuss and they say things that are ugly and that's on a good day. And they're deceptive and they'll cheat you and they'll steal you and they'll make you look bad and they'll lie about you and you're dealing with these people. And we're instructed to love these people. And you may be in a situation where maybe it's not that bad, but you just know the people around you are, are lost and the music they turn on and whatever radio or devices there is not the music you would choose and 
You just, it's just tension all the time. It's Wednesday and you're tired. You face the enemy every day, daily. The enemy doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep. And listen, he is powerful and we don't want to give him any undue attention that's not necessary, but we must know something of his character. And I'm not spending a lot of time here, but just to say he's a liar, a deceiver. He's subtle. He's deceptive. He's slanderous. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's fierce and he has power. Satan is proud, but at the same time, he's also a cowardly imitator. He's wicked. He's our adversary. He beguiled Adam and Eve. He deceived them. No doubt we know about Samson. Uh, He probably most likely succumbed to his own flesh, but rest assured, Satan, the great tempter, was there to make sure that Samson had every available temptation to him every day to cause him to be self-reliant in his service toward God as he judged Israel in his days. The Hebrew children were in bondage. No doubt um, the enemy was at work to see an evil ruler or a good ruler pass off the scene and the evil ruler in Egypt come to power and want to kill all the Hebrew boys. Um, You could speculate that maybe he's trying to destroy the lineage from which Jesus would come because this is the Hebrew nation. Uh, We know when you read about in the book of Daniel, there's a a demonic force called the Prince of Persia, a fallen angel carrying out Satan's plans against the kingdom of God. Could be that in this region, there was no doubt principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in Egypt wanting to destroy God's people. You don't think Newton County and the county you live in, you don't think there's a principality, uh, a demonic influence erected that we can't see? Hey, I tell you, when we pray tonight, maybe one of the things we should pray is, God, would you give us Newton County? Would you, would you, God, destroy and dismantle and take down the strongholds that are in our county? People are captive and, and in bondage with drugs. They're in relationships that are ungodly. They're, they're, uh, they're deceived. They're shooting people. They're stealing. They're murdering. They're raping. There's human trafficking. Evil is present in our backyard. Why? Because Satan has erected strongholds. Can I say what? Can I tell you what? God erects strongholds. God is victorious. God can dismantle anything that Satan has put together. But listen, God is on the move. Is Canaan Baptist Church ready? As we looked at tonight, is he, are we ready to intersect where God is going forward? God's preparing our church, this people, to do his work. We have an enemy. Jesus faced an enemy. And I'll tell you, he faced him head on. The moment that he allowed Satan to enter the heart of Judas and betray God's innocent son. We have an enemy. So God commanded us to pray. In Ephesians 6, we're instructed to put on the whole armor of God. Because we don't fight against humans. You don't fight against other people. You fight against an an enemy you can't touch. And as Paul was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he was asking them to give him boldness, pray for him so that he would have boldness in proclaiming God's truth. And pastor, I'm not trying to re-preach anything that he has preached because it's far better than what you'll get tonight. But he did in great detail carry us through the entire armor of God and how to be um, victorious over the strongholds that cause us to act like we don't know the Lord. And, but listen, the whole reason for dressing in the armament is to pray. 
We don't dress in that armament to take a swing at the enemy with our sword. It's to pray. Prayer. It's intense. If we were to stop and try to pray right now and say, okay, we're going to pray for 30 minutes. Hey, we would be battling the sleepies. We're taught prayer takes energy and strength. And we need the armament of God to go to the Lord in prayer. That's where the battle is fought. The battle over the hearts and the battle over your heart and your mind and my heart and my mind. It's in the prayer, the prayer closet. Satan will do anything he can to keep the saints from praying. We're commanded to pray because we have an enemy. All is in vain if we don't first pray. Second truth tonight, why are we commanded to pray? Hey, we're in need. We have needs. Might shock some of you, but do you know you really cannot meet your own needs, your deepest needs? God's given us ability to work and to reason, and we ought to be about our work and do a good job working, and men ought to take care of their families and and be the breadwinner and you know, not every situation is perfect. I grew up in a single parent home, so my mom was the breadwinner. She was the judge, the jury, the executioner. She did it all. You know, she was dad on Father's Day. She was mother on Mother's Day and um, all in between. So, but what I mean is when God gives a person responsibilities, he will also provide them with the abilities to do the work and provide and meet the needs of others. But your deepest need as a human being, human hands cannot fulfill. We're commanded to pray because we have needs. God wants to work through people to be a channel of blessing and use us, but it's God that does the provision. He's the, he's the provider. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn over to James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. This next verse, man, there's some heavy language in here about prayer. Um, I really uh, just... I had, had to spend some time here because as I really look at the words and I thought, that can't be me. I, I don't, I don't that's, that's not what I do. And James is, man, he is coming after the believers, the disciples. I almost thought about reading the whole chapter, but just for the sake of time. But let's look at James chapter 4 and verse 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. And cannot obtain, ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. That's some strong words. James is telling us, not only do you not pray, you're killing other people, and you're murdering other people. Whoa, wait. Okay, I knew I wasn't praying, but... Was I doing that? I don't think, and I may be wrong here and can be corrected. I don't think James is actually getting on or admonishing anyone for the act of murder. But here's what he does say. That word lust means we set our heart on something so, such a great desire that we start to covet. And as we want what we want, we will do anything as to murder to get what we want rather than go to God and ask for God to provide for the need. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. 
As I was looking this up and doing just the scripture search, that word, those words desire to have means envy. It took me back to a verse of when, remember Joseph's brothers were colluding and, and getting together. They, want, they wanted to kill him, then said, no, we ought not kill him. They threw him in a pit and then they sold him to slaves. When it talks about that, when you and I choose to not pray and go to God for our needs and we get so set on having our heart's desire fulfilled that we're no different than Joseph's brothers that we will go to any length to get my desire met and fulfilled. That's heavy stuff. But James is saying he's really wanting us to understand that, listen, God's promises, those are for the people who pray. Not for the people who are warring and fighting and lusting and killing. You lack, we lack in our lives and we go without simply because we didn't ask. And we take matters into our own hands. And then he says, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. There there are no doubt needs in our lives. And we could look at a need as healing and meeting a financial need as saying, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm lusting. I don't think I'm trying to murder. But, but I, I know this need is great in my life. And James 4, 2 really is the secret. It's the answer to our spiritual poverty and our powerlessness. Simply, we have not because we don't ask. We are in need. We have needs. And only God can meet our need. You have a need tonight. Does your marriage need reviving? Then ask. Are you facing financial ruin? Ask. Does your child need healing? Ask. Does your soul need reviving? Ask. Does the person you love the most need to be saved? Ask. The burden that you're carrying for someone that you love, you don't know if you can bear it? Ask. You're not sure how you're going to pay for that big car repair? Ask. I'm not sure how the mortgage is going to get paid? Ask. I've lost my job. My pay has been cut. I don't understand what's actually going on in my life right now at this exact moment. Ask. 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 God can meet our needs. Don't look around at what someone else is going through, what someone else has. Don't do that. Go to your Father in heaven. Ask Him to meet your need. We have no idea what's going on in the lives of others. Everything we see on the superficial, we don't know. Only God knows what's going on. Ask. We simply just neglect prayer. We don't have what we need because we haven't asked God for them. Matthew Henry and typically don't quote him, but he said this, you fight, you don't succeed because you do not pray. You do not consult God in your undertakings, whether he will allow them or not. You do not commit your way to him and make known your request to him, but you follow your own corrupt views and inclinations. Therefore, you are met with continual disappointments. We're commanded to pray because we have an enemy. We're commanded to pray because we have needs. We're also commanded to pray because there have been men, women, young people, old people, uh, Christians who have gone before us that have showed us 
what God does when people pray. R.A. Torrey said, These men whom God set forth as a pattern of what God expected Christians to be, the apostles, regarded prayer as the most important business of their lives. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Not long after new believers were converted because of the day of Pentecost, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That was their discipleship course, praying. Not long after that, a couple of chapters over, um, they, uh, they heal a man, and then it's uh, the Pharisees and the religious crowd. Uh, they threaten them. They almost beat them, but they can't find cause to really go that far. So they threaten them, and they say, don't you talk to anybody about Jesus. You keep your mouth shut when it comes to Jesus. And they were so excited. And there's a prayer recorded in Acts 4. I won't read it. But they ask for boldness that they may speak the word of God. They went to prayer to God for their hardship, asking for more boldness to proclaim what God was doing. And the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Right here we see an immediate prayer and an immediate answer. We read where the needs of the people would be ministered to in the church in Acts, 4, Acts chapter 6. And the need was great. And here's what the leaders of the congregation said. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. These men that God has for us as examples show us what, it, what happens, what it's like to spend much time and strength in prayer. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 9, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Ephesians chapter 1, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians 1, 9, do not cease, I do not cease to pray for you. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee and my prayers night and day. Paul was a man of prayer. God answered his prayers and he saw not only miracles in his time, but God used him in a great way. Our, our greatest example would be our Savior, a role model of prayer and praying. In Mark chapter 1, you remember he was, the whole day was spent uh, healing people and casting out demons. And no, day that, no, no doubt that's exciting to see people have sins forgiven, to see uh, their, their maimed limbs uh, recovered, their sight restored, their hearing restored. And then the Bible says that in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. No doubt Jesus was exhausted. He was tired. It was an exhilarating day. It was a long day. And here's what one commentator said. Even though the previous day was full, Jesus forgoes the necessary sleep to commune with his Father. What a wonderful example. It happens again in Luke 6, verse 12, that Jesus spent all night in prayer. He went into a mountain and to pray, continued all night in prayer to God, 
And it was, when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Such an uh, important decision in Jesus' life that he spent all night in prayer. Another quote from R.A. Torrey, If we would spend more nights before God on our faces in prayer, there would be more days of power when we faced our people. The Bible mentions over 25 times the word prayer or pray when mentioning Jesus. I don't know where I got this statement, so I give credit to the anonymous author. True disciples of Jesus Christ spend much time in prayer as he did. You and I cannot claim to be a true disciple of Christ and not spend time with Jesus Christ in prayer. Prayer is such a important work, and even to say important just falls short. Heavenly work, spiritual work, necessary work. I guess what I'm trying to say is Jesus is still praying. The Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He ever maketh intercession for us. What's the one thing that Jesus has continued to do since the day he ascended to heaven? He's praying. There's no greater work. There's no greater activity that you and I can commit to be a part of than to pray. Can I just say this? To be honest with you, and it ought, it ought to light my own fire and it and I, but can I just say when you when you say it it doesn't does it not it doesn't sound exciting because we're so accustomed to our 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 vision of what working for God is and how to serve God and how to come to God it's it's going out soul winning it's dressing up for church it's working in the bus ministry it's serving it's vacuuming the floors it's doing some type of work that i can measure that i can get involved in physically my heart rate goes up and i sweat and all those things to work and and i'm not saying that those are not important but when you you ask someone to come let's spend an hour in prayer as pastor often says it's sometimes the least attended meeting of a church i'm not necessarily talking about us we need to change the way we see that. The Bible has, this is not even, we're not even uh, getting shavings off the wood here with the importance of prayer. But if Jesus Christ has decided that his eternal work as he waits for us to join him is to pray for us, then where can we join him where he's already working? In prayer. Studying, experiencing God. That's what we're learning. God's calling you and me to join him in a work. We already know where he's working. If I can't, if, I, if I'm still learning to discern where he's around my life, hey, I know where he's working right now. He's praying for me. I can enter into that work with him. I can yoke up with him in prayer. We ought to have it. We ought to have all of it. The physical labor, the physical attendance to, to services, the, all of it, and prayer. So much the more prayer. God doesn't want us to miss out on spending time with him. And I think really that's what prayer is. It's, it's more than just uttering words. It's resting, communing with him. Spending time in a quiet place with the one who loves you more than anybody. And getting to know his heart. And him letting you experience who 
He is. Yes, it involves speaking and, and talking and, and, and spending time with Him. Yes, it's, it's all of that. But if we think uh, prayer is simply just speaking words to God and then going on our way, we've missed the depth and the preciousness of what prayer is. Uh, Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, when our salvation happened, we, are, we were complete, saved all the way to the uttermost. I like to envision that I'm still being saved. Not that I've lost my salvation, but God is ever saving me from my dumb self. And I'm thankful he is ever showing me where I need him the most, where I need him today. You know, the Holy Spirit, when he begins to talk with us and teach us and commune with us, he doesn't come at me with a condemning spirit. He is so kind and gentle and loving to point out sin and wickedness and the awful things in my life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it really changes how I approach other people. And I hope it continues that way. But can I tell you, the lost people around where you are, the Bible says they're already condemned if they're without Christ. They don't need us to lay more burden on them or put a big old rock in their backpack. But what they do need, they need for you and I to love them where they are, to be a channel of blessing. That it's only going to happen if, we're spent, if we spent time with God in prayer, if we've communed with Christ. Kind of got ahead of my notes here. I'll give you another quote by R.A. Torrey as we get to the end here. Just R.A. Torrey said, I pray he will make me a man who knows how to pray and spends much time in prayer. This last one, we are commanded. I'll... I'll get to the end here so that we can spend some time in prayer. But I already, we, you and I already read together Ephesians 6. And as I could simply sum that up, every disciple always praying for everyone and for everything. What Christian brother or sister tonight doesn't need someone praying for them? We do. You do. And I do. I want to close with two verses that just speaks of the character of the God we pray to. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verses 18 through 21. I won't read the whole verse, but listen to these words that's written. Uh, and therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, that he may have mercy upon you. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry when he shall hear it. He will answer thee. Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That psalmist was telling us that the ungodly have, they have, the ungodly have all that they'll ever get. But the godly in God have all that they will ever need. Because of all God is in himself, prayer is always worth it. Because of all God is in himself, prayer is always worth it. And with that, I'd like us to spend the next few minutes. It's 748. Let, 
I mean, if we could go for seven minutes or so, and just in the time of symphony of prayer, if those who were more towards the back of the auditorium, if you could get more towards the front, and uh, we just want to spend the time as a church family praying to our God who wants to fulfill every need that we have and our church has. You can definitely come to the altar if you uh, want to uh, kneel uh, for the link that we'll pray. Definitely um, appropriate. You can make an altar out of your pew seat if you want to do that.